0: Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, today's show is called America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America? America. And what a coincidence, that is the new book of my guest, <laughs> Drew Thomas Allen. Um, Drew has been called one of America's rising conservative stars. And this book, I mean, it is is—it is amazing. And yes, of course, you're probably thinking to yourself if you listen to any of my <laughs> shows, um, that I am uh, biased because I am clearly conservative. Um, But no, taking that away, I mean, first of all, I am am conservative because I am very worried. Just the the very things that this book talks about, I am very worried about. And um, if you think it's an exaggeration to say that the 2024 elections will determine if America lives or dies, you've either been living under a rock or you're in serious denial What I call the Obama Biden White House. I don't say the Biden White House anymore. I have said for ages. You know, now it's become popular that people are saying that Biden. uh, That I'm sorry. That Obama um, runs the White House. That 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 Biden is the puppet of Obama. I've been saying that for a long, long time, and it was a shock, you know, when I said it to some people. But that is the truth, and quite frankly, um, you know, if there wasn't this overwhelming Obama influence. Um, we wouldn't be in as much danger as we are in today because really he is the one who um, is as st- stronger. <laughs> Biden has dementia, which is why he's able to be uh, have his strings pulled by Obama. But um, if if it wasn't the Obama-Biden White House, we wouldn't be in quite as bad shape as we are today. So they have been doing more to destroy our country and our freedom than any other presidency. Um From And and some examples of this, you know, this is the thing. I think maybe I'll stop here and let me introduce my guest, first of all. But I I want to some of these things that I want to mention. um, I want to ask you about how, you know, you have a part in your book, um, like, to ask people whether they are better now or better before during the Trump presidency and so on. And, um, you know, why why is it, why should there be any question as to who to vote for? and, you know, when we'll get to this, some of the things that are going on in this presidency uh, that people have to realize are um, are bad for them and the country. Um, and yet there is a disconnect between those things and the idea of still voting for Biden. Um, OK, so let me introduce my guest, one of America's rising conservative Stars, and um, that is true. But let me read like a, a formal um, bio for him. And that is Drew Thomas Allen is the author, of course, of this book, America's Last Stand Will You Vote to Save or Destroy America in 2024? He's also the vice president of client development at Publius PR, which is a premier communications firm. And um, Drew Allen has Worked, this is my only criticism of you, Drew. <laughs> you didn't include me amongst the names. He has worked as a publicist for many of the biggest names in politics. Peter Navarro, Dr. Naomi Wolf, Dr. Ben Carson, Alan Dershowitz, Carrie Lake, to name a few. I've had all of them on my show except Carrie Lake, who was a no-show. <laughs> but in any case, um, and in addition to running PR campaigns for other people, some of these most recognizable names... Um, he himself has, um, uh, credits, you know, behind him. He's a widely published columnist. He's the host of the popular Drew Allen show podcast. He's an in-demand political analyst and he's appeared on Newsmax, uh, GB news with one of my favorites, Mark Dolan and on radio stations across the country. I was coming across another book that you wrote, um, Oh, here. Uncommon sense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That was that was kind of my first foray into the political realm, to be honest. That was during the covid lockdowns. And I live in California, as you do uh, as well, or you spend a lot of time there. And I'm up in Napa Valley. And that was when I really got politically activated. Now, I've always been a conservative, even though I like to tell people this, because if you actually look at my resume, you would think that I would be a liberal because, I, yes, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, but I went to an elitist all-male college preparatory school in Dallas. Uh, I went to Pepperdine for college, but I was a theater major. I moved to New York City, and I acted I ended up moving to Milan, Italy, where I opened and managed the first Mark Jacobs retail store in Italy. I did that in West Hollywood as well for a long time, and I continued working in film and, and became a film producer for a while too and got out of the Hollywood in 2017. So the reality is I'm not one of these people that's just conservative because I've been told to be this way. These are views and opinions that I have based on, being in a pressure cooker, actually, most of my life around people that did not agree with anything that I believed in. So I always had to formulate these arguments to address these people. And so in some ways, that's a benefit. I kind of wish, doctor, that I had a a background where I could say like Reagan or something where I used to be a Democrat and I'm a convert. I think those people are very special, uh, but I'm somewhere in between because I've I've grown up around around liberals. So this book, Common Sense, was almost like a conservative uncommon sense is what I called it. Obviously, a play on Thomas Paine's Common Sense. Uh, I wrote that to address what was happening amidst the tyranny that we're seeing in this country. And, you know, on that, I really wore my heart on my sleeve. I wasn't trying to, uh, play politics at all with that book. That was just like, uh, uh, in a good way, word vomit. Uh-huh.
1: When did that come out?
2: Well, that was 2020, I believe it was. Huh? And that was self-published. So that was a whole different thing. You know, this is through a publisher and everything else.
1: Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I was gonna ask you, were your parents Democrat or Republican?
2: Both my parents are republicans. i would I would actually say that my father in particular and Rush Limbaugh and even Mark Levin are probably some of the primary reasons that I have these fortified beliefs because driving around the Metroplex of dallas it's it's a big Metroplex, and I played competitive soccer and this and that. I spent a lot of time in the car with my dad uh going to games going to school in north dallas i lived in south dallas and so i i listened to that stuff on the radio because of my dad that and oldies so i love oldies and i, I love rush limbaugh
1: yes he was he was he was pretty amazing one of a kind um well okay let's well first of all let's start kind of at the beginning of the book um i really loved your um introduction talking about santa claus and talking about how you know we all kind of are many of us most children actually regardless of what religion well maybe not muslims i don't know but even <laughs> they, you know they see um santa claus in in the malls and all that so you know it, i mean it's a general generic kind of um everyone wants to believe in santa claus and so um You know, you you give this um, analogy between, as a little kid, one believes in Santa Claus, and uh, at some point, you have to face the realization that there is no Santa Claus. Um, And of course, that's a very traumatic, psychologically speaking. That's a very traumatic day, uh, because you know, to to find out that it's your mother or father who have been playing Santa Claus. and and not this this mystical, you know, wonderful man who you write him to him what you want and he brings it to you. I mean, that's a wonderful story. um And so, I mean, I remember I used to make um, I'm Jewish, so I used to make Hanukkah bushes and I would um, lay out, you know, a I had a little plastic, big big tree in plastic. And I used to put like menorahs or all different kinds of Jewish things on it. And I would believe in, in um, I, that would be the Hanukkah bush. And somehow I would believe that Santa Claus would come <laughs> to the Hanukkah bush too. Okay, um, But, um, and, and it really is, there's like something in your heart breaks when you find that out. And you talk about that with your mother. Why don't you say a little more than you said in your book about that?
2: Well, yeah, I I remember that day. I forget exactly how old I was, but I remember it was the the first house, the one I I mainly grew up in. It was in DeSoto, Texas, a a suburb of Dallas. And we were coming home from the grocery store, I believe it was. And obviously, the groceries were in the trunk of the car. And I can kind of vaguely recall my mom keeping me, me away from the trunk, you know, she was putting the groceries in, and then we got to the house. And for whatever reason, I was a nice kid, I guess. I loved my mother, and I, I I ran to the back of the trunk to try and help her bring the groceries in. And in that trunk, lo and behold, were the gifts that were on my Christmas list, my wish list for Santa Claus. And I realized immediately, immediately, and probably because not everyone arrives at the same conclusion at the same time. You're dealing with other kids who've gotten there before you or have had that experience before you. So probably I was one of these people that was fighting against that, right? I was probably one of these people at school that was like, no, no, you're Santa Claus is real. Don't give me that garbage. I'm sorry that you're such a loser and you don't believe it anymore, but I do. And then when that moment comes and you finally, you put it all together and you say, my goodness, Santa Claus isn't real. But here's what's important. My parents did not then try to convince me that in fact Santa was real. Mm. They didn't continue this charade and game that is enjoyable. It's it's innocuous. I'm glad I'm going to do it for my children, but they didn't continue it till I was 15 and 16 and 17. Everyone understands that at some point it's going to come to an end, and so the parent and the child agree to move on because It's a child's belief. It's a child's game. If you had a 40-year-old person that still professed that Santa Claus was absolutely real, what would you think of that person? They'd be crazy. But, But my point in that chapter is to say that same skepticism that's healthy, that arrives in our minds and our development at some point that leads us to conclude that Santa's not real... Well, where is that skepticism when it comes to political shams that are actually cancerous, right? Whether you want to go down the list of Democrat Party policies uh, or the lies with with the whole pandemic, all of this stuff. Where is that skepticism when time and time again, like Bidenomics, they, they, they you know this administration would tell you and conv- and try and have you believe. That what you're experiencing, what you're looking at with your own bank account, when you go to the grocery store and buy groceries, that that's not real. That, in fact, you're doing very, very well. And you have Americans who would actually go and vote for Joe Biden again or some other Democrat they would replace him with, despite the fact that, objectively, by every metric, we are worse off today than we were under Trump. National security. And there is not a single demographic apart from the elites in Washington, D.C. that have benefited from this administration.
1: Well, yes, that's that's really a, a very good way of trying to explain this, trying to explain the the disconnect between, um, you know, what is real and what isn't real, or like for example, um, what people don't like, like you were saying, the grocery store, um, and yet still voting for Biden. Uh, you know, it's that is that is the hardest part here. That is the real problem. Um, to get people over that hump, like to, to realize that there is no Santa Claus, um, to realize that, that, you know, face it. Um, I talk about in the description of the show, I talk about um, the, Obama, the Obama-Biden White House has done more to destroy our country and freedom than any other presidency. From the Southern border invasion of illegal immigrants, terrorists, murderers, drug cartels, disease carriers, etc. cetera, who are depleting our economy and healthcare resources to politici- to politicization, politicization of the courts, to propaganda that uh, pretends to be edu- education, you know, the CRT um, trans stuff and on and on. So people, you know, if, if somebody there, the average person, um, whether Democrat or Republican, Realizes, knows really. Just take immigration; they know that this is destroying our country. That there are—it's an invasion of America. That they; these are people who uh, we have. There's no way that we can support them all. Um, you know, on with social security benefits. I mean, social services and so on. Um, you know, New York is busting at the seams. Uh, there are a lot of these people who came over have been dangerous because they were criminals in the countries that they came from and um so people it, it makes common sense or uncommon sense to know that these kinds of things are not good for the country and not good for us individually and yet they just like they want to hang on to the belief in Santa Claus they want to hang on to the belief that well you know i don't know i mean there's no way of like rationalizing it is irrational
2: well and it's harming themselves in their future which is so mind-boggling about the whole situation and in some ways, yes, it's a cult-like mentality. Um, but I think that really what's going on is we have a culture of apathy in our nation. Uh, a lot of Americans are just apathetic about everything. It starts at the top. You have an administration that is apathetic towards everything, all the harm they're causing to the country, whether you go back to Jinsaki who tells angry Democrats, you know, go take a yoga class or you have the current Karine Jean-Pierre just denying reality and telling you, stop complaining. You've got a great president. You know, we don't care about your problems. They don't change their policies. They're completely apathetic. And that, that trickles down, I think, in some way to the American populace. We're, one, we're kind of numb because we are overwhelmed. Our sensations uh, and senses, I mean, have been overwhelmed by just kind of traumatic news and a traumatic media, and this bludgeoning that never stops, and there's no accountability anywhere in this administration ever. And so people just kind of turned off. They've decided kind of, well, I'm not going to do anything about it because I can't do anything about it. And that's, of course, the wrong mentality. Uh, We never should have won the American Revolution. You know, uh, they were not apathetic, the Founding Fathers. If they'd been apathetic, we wouldn't have a country. So I'm really trying to urge people to dig deep and really channel the patriotism not racism that's not in our dna despite obama's uh, complaints we do have patriotism in our dna and we've got to really find that and band together because this is our last stand
1: yes absolutely um i believe that as well with everything um okay we need to take a break when we come back my guest drew thomas allen Will tell us more. Um, some of the things that he has in his amazingly sourced book. I mean, I was very impressed with that. You had, you didn't, you weren't just sort of spouting your opinion. You had sources for everything that people go, could go look up. So we'll be right back. Again, the book is called America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America? So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.
3: Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts.
0: Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King.
3: Birdie told me Voice America is on X. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Stimulating
0: talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast.
3: All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com
0: Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1-866-472- 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
2: And
1: welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch where we're talking about America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America? Which happens to be the title of an amazing book written by my guest Drew Thomas Allen. You know, if the world was uh made sense, <laughs> your book would be in every college. Um you know, every college library and taught by, you know, American history teachers and all that. But since our colleges have been taken over by progressives, um, probably. This, well, I guess maybe you could get into colleges only for them to tear it apart. Maybe you do have a chance there. Um, OK, let's talk about while we're doing the show right now live. Um, there is the the poll um, in New Hampshire. Uh and you know it, i mean one one. would i well i won't i mean it seems like of course in terms of republicans it's between uh trump and um um <laughs> you know what i have i have been having a um a uh, brain my brain stops what, nikki haley okay <laughs> i'll tell you why <laughs> so it's between trump and nikki haley for the most part in this um primary poll in New Hampshire, especially since Ron DeSantis um, dropped out of the race. Um, so what do you think about the, the poll and and the people running and, and all of that?
2: Well, I had been calling for this charade that is the primary, very superficial in nature, to end a while back. And I I, I will confess that At the end of the day, I'm okay that we went to Iowa because, look, the principal argument from anybody who wasn't already supporting Trump was these polls are even rigged. They're not reflective of a reality. We haven't seen a single vote yet. And they were kind of premising that just wait and see in Iowa. DeSantis in particular, he was making that the Super Bowl for himself. And he put everything he had into it to his credit. And then he still came up short. So then, great, he did the right thing. We finally saw that those polls were not exaggerated, that they weren't untrue and false, that they were, for the most part, accurate, and that Trump is not stoppable in this nomination process. Well, now we go to New Hampshire, and New Hampshire is kind of the, the Iowa for Nikki Haley. She's kind of been putting her eggs in the New Hampshire basket, and of course, Democrats can vote in the primary New Hampshire So I know for a fact, based on people I've talked to on the ground, that there are many Democrats that are changing their registration so that they can go and support Nikki Haley. What does that tell you about Nikki Haley? The fact that the New York Times, I think, even endorsed Nikki Haley, that the left wants Nikki Haley. I I, want to say something important, Doctor, because one of the, and I'm sorry if I offend somebody in the audience, but one of the stupidest things I have heard over the last six months is that the left's targeting of Trump and prosecution of Trump was some kind of 4-D chess maneuver to ensure that Trump got the nomination because they truly believe Trump's the easiest to beat. The reality is the Democrats do not want to face Trump. That's not the truth. They would love to face Nikki Haley. They would have loved to have faced even Ron DeSantis because 2020, again, they're not as confident about what happened because we know that based on the unprecedented, I'll just leave it at this, changes to our electoral processes with mail-in ballots and mail drop drop-off boxes that were not even legal in states like Wisconsin, but were used anyway, uh, they don't actually believe that Biden is so uh, unbeatable, and so they don't want to face a rematch against Trump and Biden in twenty. 20- you know, Carol, what are what are people going to say if we get to November and they don't have some ability to have mass mail-in ballots like they did in twenty twenty? How are they going to explain, let's say Trump wins? How are they going to explain when Biden not only doesn't get eighty one million votes again, but it gets like seventy? How are they going to explain that draw? Oh, people just lost enthusiasm. You know what I'm saying? There's a lot of yeah. reasons to not want this matchup.
1: you know, I totally agree with you. Um, yes, uh, you know i will i i I also agree about how Nikki Haley in New Hampshire and uh DeSantis in Iowa they really um put up a good fight in terms of even though they I don't know if they thought maybe they did think that they could win they certainly gave it the the maximum going to all the different visiting all the counties and so on personally and all that they really did um they were very motivated you know to do all of that so yes they deserve credit for that um I think um Looking at these people, Ron DeSantis. I mean, yes, it was about time that he that he threw in the towel. Um, I mean, the writing was on the wall long before he threw in the towel, and um, it, it's really he really made a mistake um, because if he didn't run himself, you know, it's just like the Pence situation. These, these people um, think they they have these inflated ideas about themselves. And like when Pence didn't have a recount because he he wanted to run for president, you know, Um, and and Ron DeSantis also. um, So he wanted to run for president. He didn't want to be vice vice president, um, you know, for Trump's vice president. Now, if they would have if if DeSantis, I mean, if he hadn't been if they hadn't had a falling out DeSantis and Trump, um, DeSantis would have done better to try to stay BFFs with Trump and be his vice-presidential candidate. And, of course, the question is, did he burn too many bridges at this point? And, um, you know, would Trump even think about having him? I, I, what do you think about that?
2: Well, firstly, I would say that Ron DeSantis made one of the most egregious political miscalculations of the modern American era in politics. Um, it's okay that he decided to run But if he had run his campaign like Vivek Ramaswamy, just kind of parallel to Trump, uh, continued to push conservatism forward, continued to attack the Biden administration, but he became kind of like a Lincoln Project spokesman. And that's when he started to rub me the wrong way because for, for DeSantis, the biggest issues that we face as a nation are directly related to the treatment of Trump by the Democrat Party. And so DeSantis, for example could not find it within himself while he was campaigning to acknowledge the fraud that took place in 2020. And he also couldn't address in a respectable way the left's persecution of Trump. He couldn't come to Trump's defense full-throatedly and say, hey, this is wrong because it didn't help him as a political candidate. So it showed selfishness. And I've tried to explain to people, and I am not a DeSantis hater. I hope actually that he does have a bright future ahead But I'm a little bit concerned for him. It made no sense to do this. He could have been a VP possibility, and he could have certainly walked into the White House potentially in 2028. Now all of that's up in the air. But what we learned about Ron DeSantis is that he's a career politician. Remember, Ron DeSantis followed a playbook, a blueprint to political success. He went to Yale and Harvard. I'm not faulting him for that. okay? And then he joined the Navy. Thank you for your service. He did about five years there. And then what did he do? what many people have learned to do. They do their military service, and then you know it's kind of a badge of honor. It is for the nation, but it's also helpful when you want to run for office. So he's in Florida. He runs for Congress, and he wins. That's fine as a congressman. And then remember in 2016, Senator Marco Rubio briefly decided not to run for his Senate seat again because he ran for president. And what did Ron DeSantis do? He announced that he was going to run to take Rubio's Senate seat. It was very brief because Rubio dropped out, and then uh, DeSantis did the respectable thing and ran for his congressional district again and won. And he allowed Rubio to have—he didn't contest Rubio, but the Senate obviously is a step up from Congress if you're a politician. The way you view things, mm-hmm. okay? So what do we see now? A trajectory where he's trying to climb the ladder, climb the ladder. We get to 2018. And Rick Scott is termed out as the governor of Florida. He served two consecutive terms, so he's done. And so you had Ron DeSantis, who's a congressman, resign from Congress so that he can run for the governor's seat. And of course, Donald Trump helped him win that seat. The rest is history. He won. But all I'm saying to you, it's not a judgment per se. It's just to say that Ron DeSantis is kind of like You hear these stories about Bill Clinton. You know, he's 14 years old and he's telling people, when I grow up, I want to be president. You know, Ron DeSantis looked in the mirror and he saw a future president. Uh, Donald Trump, the reason people love him still, no one views him as a politician. He didn't look in the mirror and say, I'm going to be president. He looked at a country on fire and said, hey, I'm going to run for president because I want to do something about this. And for me, that was moving to understand about this kind of 2024 matchup. And I think it at least helps to explain what happened.
1: Yes. I mean, although you can't really fault someone for having that kind of ambition, you know, I mean, if looking in the mirror and saying whatever you want to look in the mirror and say that you want to be, you know, and if you go out there and you put in all the work and you get to be it, I mean, that's that's the American dream. But, um, yeah, you know, I mean, a, a dream team would have been, I mean, back of back a while, a dream team, in my opinion, I originally had said that Trump for president and DeSantis for vice president and then DeSantis would have another could then run for president, And we'd have another eight years. So, you know, that could put the country back together. Um, but, um, the reason why I was having, I have, sometimes I can't remember Nikki Haley's name is because she too, um, I I loved Nikki Haley. I, I, Nikki Haley came to Los Angeles and, um, she was speaking at a Jewish event, an organization that I belong to. And I met her and, um, I had a chance to chat with her. I have a picture with her. Um, I was talking about how she was my BFF. I was really excited about her because she's very strongly for Israel. You know, that was the main thing, plus, I mean, of course, her experience. But um, I kind of turned against her or was, was let down by her um, when she when she um, turned against Trump before before she ran for president. Um, just in general, you know, um, because this goes back a few years, um, she, she, you know, she said things against Trump and, and um, before it came time to put her, her name in the hat, not that she wasn't possibly thinking about that already. But in any case, you know, it's really, it's this, what is this? There's like a phenomenon here where people who Trump supports helps to get where they get, you know, DeSantis to be governor, Nikki Haley to be the ambassador to the U.N., that was Trump who did all of that. And then they have the audacity to turn against him, to betray him. And of course, there was mentioning Pence. Um, you know, he had the audacity to turn against him. Why do people, do you know, why do people turn against Trump after they instead of being grateful?
2: Well, in somebody like Mike Pence's place, and this might be an interesting conversation with you because of your your doctorate and the fact that you are uh, America's psychiatrist, but I think there's a lot of uh, guilt associated. You know, I think Mike Pence knows that in some ways he did the wrong thing. He claims to be this man of principle. He wears his faith uh, on his sleeve, you know, and I think that when people are incapable of having humility and acknowledging when they've made a mistake— when they can't do that, they lash out and they take it out on somebody else. So it's really a reflection on them being angry with themselves. Uh, but I think that's what you see with with a lot of this. But you're right. I mean, you do see a lack of loyalty, but I think it might also just be a reflection of politics. Politics uh, can bring out the absolute worst in people, and if you're not careful— Washington, D.C. will eat you alive. It'll turn you into something that when you look in the mirror, you do not recognize any longer. And that's what's dangerous about uh, politics in Washington, D.C. Uh, you know, I worked in Hollywood for a long time. It's the same thing there. You lose yourself because you're looking for your validation in things where you shouldn't be looking for it, and things that are superficial and don't matter, and they betray your principles.
1: Yes. Well, let's talk about the other um person who has been tossed around whose name has been tossed around uh vivek ramaswamy now i um i do not like this man <laughs> um there is something that is very oily um medicine what do you call you know like the the medicine men well this snake
2: oil salesman snake right well kind of? there we yeah. go
1: thank you um And, and I mean, there are these rumors that Trump is going to pick him for vice president. What? Trump, I I mean, I hope, I mean, Trump is smarter than that. What, where are these rumors coming from and why?
2: Yeah, well, it's a hot topic right now. So people put this stuff out from the individual campaign, certainly to try and boost conversation about it and give them an edge in the conversation, and other people just, of course, want to get clicks and views and so on and so forth. I, I don't think that there's a, a possibility that Vivek Ramaswamy is going to be his vice president presidential candidate. If he remained loyal, I wouldn't mind seeing him as the press secretary because I have enjoyed uh, seeing him go back and forth with some of the media. But, you know, I, I think that I think I, I don't disagree with you per se. I, I, I I'm kind of Speaking of apathy, I'm a little bit apathetic towards Vivek Ramaswamy because I don't entirely trust him because of his past. And he kind of came out of nowhere. He's very, very slick. But at the same time, I do I do give him a little bit of credit because I think he ran the smartest campaign of anybody that was challenging Trump. I think that uh, he at least did something to move the conservative movement forward in some way. I think that he did actually reach some people when he'd go on CNN and debate these. I think that he created a dialogue in the country. Um, but you know, I, I don't know. He's, 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 that is not a wise pick for vice president this time. He's somebody who doesn't have any, uh, he's very young and he has no kind of political sense, really, if you will. He's new to this world and he's learning, but there's a couple things. I think, I don't think the VP pick will be that important. It's really the Trump show, but I do think the VP, VP pick is very important in the sense that it needs to be somebody that could step in and run the country in a way that we demand. It needs to be somebody who's going to be able to step in if, God forbid, something were to happen to Trump. I think that's very important. It's not a placeholder. We don't need to get somebody like Nikki Haley in there who's an establishment person just to get to pick off a few votes here and there because, you know, I'll I'll give a perfect example. Talking about bad personnel decisions, they want to tie that around Trump's neck. Uh, Abraham Lincoln, when he ran for his second term, as president, he ditched his conservative Republican VP who served him in the first term. And he went with a Democrat. Mm -hmm. And of course, when Lincoln was assassinated, it set back civil rights, it set back everything, that whole agenda, because you had a racist bigot who was actually the president of the United States, but Lincoln did it to unite the country. But it obviously had some pretty bad implications for the country.
1: Yes, yes. I mean, yes, you know, that's the danger of picking someone on the basis of trying to get um, that group of votes, like like picking a woman, you know, to get the women's vote, picking a black like Ben Carson, somebody like that to get the black vote. Um, You know, I mean, yes, there's probably some some truth to that, but but. You know, but but you have to consider who the person is and all kinds of other things about them, not just whether they're a woman or black or what.
2: (laughs) Yep, I don't want to do that too, just like the left, right? This this identity (laughs) politics.
1: Right, right. Ah, we're back to uh, another break. All right. We will take a break. We hope we don't rejoice. Um, You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking about America's Last Stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America? That is a book written by Drew Thomas Allen, our guest today. So stay tuned.
3: The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
0: Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman.
1: And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch, where we're talking today about America's last stand, Will You Vote to Save or Destroy America, which is the title of the book written by today's guest, Drew Thomas Allen. Now, um one thing this is kind of gets to the point of the book. Um, I mean, there's lots of great stuff in the book, but let's, let's talk about this for the last segment. Um, you know, people have been hearing about like, I don't know, pretty much every election or, um, lots of times, lots of elections. Each party tries to say, this is the most important election. You need to vote for our candidate, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, okay. So why is it that you say, like, why is this, like, why should people believe you (laughs) that that this is the last stand of America and voting for Trump will save it, voting for Biden will destroy it? Why should people believe you besides that you've written this uh, very well-documented book?
2: Sure. Well, first you have to understand the historic precedent of what the Democrats are doing by prosecuting Donald Trump. It's never happened in the history of our country. No former president or president has ever been indicted for any crime committed. Now, for context, you had Bill Clinton who perjured himself before a grand jury when of course he said I did not have sexual relations with that woman. That was a crime. That woman. <laughs> that woman. That woman. Yeah. So, you know, that was that was a crime. And um, you know, the grand jury actually back then you had um uh now it's a it's a a uh special counsel, I guess, you know, back then it was called a special prosecutor. Anyway, it's a, it's a more neutered version today, but they basically dropped any charges against him. They, they didn't pursue anything against Bill Clinton. They made him pay, I think, you know, $20,000 or something. You can go back to the civil war even. And although he wasn't a president, you can look at general Robert E. Lee, the leader of the Confederacy, a a literal traitor, somebody who was actually guilty of an insurrection. If you, if you want to talk about insurrection and A grand jury did actually indict him for treason, but ultimately the case and the charges were dropped because they felt like it was in the best interest of the country to create unity. And so now you fast forward to Donald Trump, who has at the uh, worst uh, done done no more than Democrats have done themselves in terms of questioning election results and so on and so forth. And so the idea that a political party would now uh, corrupt the justice system so much to go after a presidential candidate, to prevent the American people. Remember, our government, the reason it remains uh, uh, held together, if you will, is something called the consent of the governed. This, this, we all agree not to go outside and just start gunning down our neighbors and stealing from people's fridges. We agree to live in this civil society. That's based on our consent. And when you lose that, you have anarchy. You do not have a civilization, a society anymore that is functioning, that is healthy. And so if you take away the ability for the American people, now a lot of people think elections are stolen, whatever else, so on and so forth. But people in the past have kind of held on this kind of idea of peaceful transfer of powers based around the fact that we'll get them next time, right? It's a ball game. We're going to get them next time. But here's the thing. this time. They're taking that away. They're pulling the rug out. Already, they've created a situation where I don't think anybody on either side is going to accept the election results in 2024. I don't think it's going to happen. The Democrats are going to do exactly what they uh, accuse Trump of doing. And b- Republicans are going to have a hard time swallowing that pill based on three consecutive examples of election interference. 2016 was Trump-Russia collusion hoax, which was a coup, then turned into a coup. Uh, 2020, of course, we had the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. Um, and so, and COVID, you can talk about COVID and what they did to really change the election process to favor them and all of that. And now we have them actually trying to prosecute, um, Trump. So if that's allowed to persist, we don't really have a constitutional Republic anymore. So that's kind of gone. And secondarily, the stakes have never been higher. That's why this is the most important election. We've never lurched so far left downward back into the swamp than we have under the Biden-Obama administration here. And if you look at what's happening at the border, unprecedented numbers of illegals. That's treason, by the way. I'm I'm not throwing out words loosely. I'm not that kind of person. It is treason. It's a violation of your constitutional duty if you are facilitating intentionally the illegal invasion of America. Yes. Um, But everywhere you look, it's unprecedented. Um, The economy is not healthy. It is uh, smoke and mirrors right now. And I would remind people that we don't know what's real because back in quarter two of 2022, you actually had the Biden administration claim that they created over a million jobs. For Q2. And then we got to December, and it was the Philadelphia Fed that looked at the numbers many months after the fact, right? And they said, actually, you created 10,000 jobs. <laughs> so they inflated the job creation by a million. And by the time they got to December, it had moved on. So we don't know what's real and what's not right now, but we're not in good shape anywhere you look. And, you know, if you just ask yourself, were you better off under Trump or Biden? You cannot objectively say you're better off under Biden
1: yes absolutely um you know and of course it's going to get even more complicated because uh i mean first of all i was reading something today about um about the uh the voting system um you know how already uh they're talking about how it was easy to dominion how it really was easy to hack and how undoubtedly it was hacked before and all the things that happened in 2020 um and now we have ai uh and that could could cause even more uh, confusion and chaos and all of that. So, I mean, you know, if you think wokeism is bad, putting turning things upside down, AI is going to really make it so you don't know what's real and what's not.
2: That's ex- exactly true. And people cannot discount, they already have a plan in place, in my opinion. Trump has mentioned it himself too, I believe. But these illegals who've come in here, more than 6 million, probably closer to 10 million already, Um, you know, they will be used as, as, as Democrat voters, you've seen video of some of them showing up at the border and they're asked, where are you going? And they pull out a piece of paper and someone has handwritten an address at some city center in Philadelphia. And we don't know where they're going, what they're doing, but certainly if you're in a Democrat run stronghold where they do not care about checking for voter ID, uh, Obviously, these people could very easily be turned into voters and have their ballots counted. If we were a serious country that really cared about remaining whole and having a future, Democrats and Republicans alike would demand to go, just like they did in Argentina, to a 100% paper ballot system where you're required to show proof of identification. Everyone should be making the greatest effort. After what happened in 2020, everyone should be making the greatest effort possible to create transparency and security in people's minds about this election. Because if we don't have that, and it turns out that these illegals have been voting in Philadelphia or somewhere else, we're not going to have a bunch of people, I think, bend over for the left if they pull this off again.
3: Uh
1: Well, (laughs) um, I don't know. I mean, certainly the media did for 2020. I mean, that's the really scary part. Not to mention um you know it is so interesting how uh how the left thought that by by um making trump have to um you know having all these lawsuits against him and and all these crimes that they're indicting him for and all of that of course it's true that so many of them are turning um against them i mean you know with the with the boyfriend for example and all that so many so many um um so much deception is actually being unveiled. But um but you know, I just wonder I, I worry about Trump at these various um well, various places that he goes. I know there are people, there's Secret Service and there are sharpshooters and all of that, uh, who are looking out for him. But it just seems to me that he I mean I don't I think that they would that they would go so far as to assassinate him. And I don't know that he really is protected enough. He loves to just, you know, walk around and uh uh with the people and you know be out there. And but I just um I think it's a dangerous situation because if they're they're seeing that the courts aren't stopping him, and so obviously they're gonna need to keep increasing whatever it is that they do to try to stop him. Do you think yeah. about that? about the oh, uh, possibility of assassination?
2: Well, I don't like to think about it, obviously, because it's a horrific um, prospect. I think that it's been brought up, I mean, in a big way. Tucker Carlson talked about it a long time ago. I have avoided talking about it because of almost manifesting some kind of situation out there where it happens. But we're getting to a point where it seems to be suggested by people like George Soros' son, Alex Soros, um, these types of ideas are being put out there now. And of course it's, it's, it, 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 in some ways, I mean, it would be devastating for the nation, but it wouldn't be shocking given the fact that the Democrats have already proven that they don't really have any limits to what they're willing to do to retain power. And you're right. If they continue to outdo themselves with their efforts, whether they're unconstitutional banana republic tactics or not if those fail sure A logical conclusion is if they will do anything to stop him well ultimately how do you stop somebody
1: yeah i mean i know i i hesitate to talk about it because of having it manifest also but at the same time um Uh, I just wish somebody was, I mean, you know, maybe he should go into the basement just like Biden did, um, the last time until he gets elected. But then of course, you know, then of course, I don't, I mean, there's, I mean, that's the thing. There are no rules. That's the problem. Um, Democrats have just decided that we want power and we want, and and another thing talking about, um, the disconnect, you know, between what people see and common sense and all that and what they're going to vote for, um, the other thing that I've been talking since since Biden ran for president um, in 2020 from his basement, I have been talking on all kinds of media um, about how he had, I called it, starting then, I called it encroaching dementia. And we have all seen, you know, you don't have to be, I mean, I say it because as a psychiatrist and a forensic psychiatrist and all of that, I know what to look for. But at this point, with Biden having to be led off by a, um, a bunny, you know, an Easter bunny. And by his uh, pretty much a- almost all the time after he finishes the speech, looking around, not knowing where he is, um, word salad, um, all kinds of signs of dementia. You don't have to be a psychiatrist to see that he does have encroaching dementia. And, uh, and yet people are sort of in denial about that. They put that aside And they just vote for him. I mean, you know, there have even been polls about this. And and a significant number of people are recognizing, say, that they do think that he is not mentally fit to be president. And yet, you know, and yet some of these same people are planning to vote for him.
2: Well, look, I listened to on one of the Sunday shows, um, uh, uh, Joe Biden's kind of principal campaign director was on there with Martha Raddatz. And he said, you know, his age is a benefit, but we're not going to make it age an issue in this election. We're going to make sure it's about the threat Donald Trump poses to freedom and democracy. And of course, this is propaganda. These are lies. And that's their campaign. You can't run on what they've done to the country because it's been destructive. And so we have really got to fortify our minds against this. And we have to be absolutely behind Donald Trump. We cannot be apologizing for him. We can't be uh uh one foot in supporters for Trump. I'm very serious. It's a it's a it is Trump or bust. And Trump's not the messiah, but He's the vehicle we have to begin the process of saving the nation, because if that doesn't happen, we're in a lot of trouble. And so people need to treat this like the Super Bowl. They need to treat this like the last election. And they need to do everything they can for themselves and their minds and talking to people in the country. And that's really why I wrote the book is because people right now want to like put their heads in the sand and pretend like it's not bad because it's painful. But this is the time more than ever in your life that you need to talk about politics with your friends, your neighbors, violate all the rules at dinner, at whatever. This needs to be brought up and people have to understand. And so, you know, hopefully I gave somebody a tool to try and do that.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. It can't be halfway. Um, if Obviously, if people can donate money, then that's great. But it, time, if you can't donate any money um, you can certainly join your Republican Party, local per- Republican Party, and and knock on door. There's all kinds of jobs that you can do, volunteer jobs that you can do. And we all have to do something because this, it, I believe it, I, I believe in the title of your book, which again is America's last stand. Will you vote to save or destroy America? I totally agree with you. I, I We will be, it will be um, chaos. It will be anarchy. It will be a mess in America and um, with the world with all our our enemies uh, feeling empowered ever since Biden surrendered to the Taliban that is when everything started going to hell in a handbasket. So thank you so much um, for your book and for your speaking out. Uh, Again, my guest is Drew Thomas Allen and um, please go get the book. It is—it's it's relatively easy to read. I mean, he supports it all, and um, you will see why you have to make sure that it, this vote, this election, goes the right way. No leaky uh, hypes. Amen. <laughs> all right. So, thank you, uh, Drew, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman.